All right. Good morning, Central Church. How's everyone today? Awesome. Hey, if you're watching us online this morning, we are so glad you're joining us wherever you are. If you're at home, on vacation, if you're out in the concourse, on the couches, we're glad you're joining us as well. And those of you that are here live, uh, as Neil mentioned, we are kicking off our, our fall uh, life group curriculum, which the topic is the Holy Spirit. And again, if you are not in a life group, I strongly encourage you to find a group and for the next six weeks, study this topic of the Holy Spirit. If you have a Bible this morning, please open it to the book of Acts, chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. If you find the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts is the very next book. It's the history book of the, of the New Testament. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for the promise that when we uh, gather together in the name of Jesus, that you are there among us. Thank you for your presence here, Holy Spirit. And Lord, I just pray that you would, you would make your presence profoundly known, that we would recognize the reality of the, the third person of the Trinity, the, uh, the, the, the invisible God who lives in us. Pray, Father, this morning that we would, um, in, in, a, in a more uh, personal way, experience your presence in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a bunch of things in life that kind of blow my mind. So according to the U.S. Geological Survey, uh, the average cloud weighs about 1.1 million pounds. That's 550 tons. Did you know that? Water weighs a lot, evidently, and clouds weigh a lot. D did you know that babies don't shed tears until they're about a month old because they haven't formed tear ducts yet? So they're not actually crying, they're just screaming that first, that first month of their existence. Did you know that if you, if you pinch your nostrils closed, you can't hum? You can't hum, well, go ahead and try it. You can't hum while you're pinching your nostrils <laughs> closed. <laughs> right? All of these mind-boggling facts. You know what blows my mind more than any of those things? That God decided that every Christian would become the building that he would put his presence in. Like if that doesn't blow your mind, that, that your body, God determined as a Christian, your body would be the place that he places his presence, the very building in which he lives. So in the Old Testament, God put his presence in the tabernacle and the temple building. It was a physical building where God lived. In the New Testament, it says that every Christian is the tabernacle or the temple or the building where God dwells. Now, if God chose to put his presence inside of you, don't you think you'd know it? Like if the living presence of God was placed in your body, wouldn't you recognize that? And yet I encounter lots of people that attend church that lack both an awareness of the Spirit's presence and, and an evidence of the Spirit's activity in life. Paul, the apostle, encountered people like that. Religious people who didn't have the Holy Spirit. So Paul had three different missions trips that we know of in the New Testament. On the second trip, he went to a city called Ephesus. 
And in Ephesus, he, he encountered 12 men who claimed to be Christians. But when Paul dug a little deeper under the surface of their lives, he discovered that they actually weren't Christians. Let's read that story in Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. It says, now it happened that while Apollos, who was later a guy that worked closely with Paul, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus. And he found some disciples there. Now, when it says disciples, we're going to find out they were actually disciples of John the Baptist. They were students of John the Baptist. Paul said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, something just seemed a little off as he interacted with these guys. And they said to him, on the contrary, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Well, if, if you've never heard or known that there's a Holy Spirit, you probably don't have the Holy Spirit. Because remember, we said if God chose to put his presence inside of you, you'd, you'd probably know it. And so Paul responds to that statement that we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit by asking them this question, into what then were you baptized or immersed? And they said into John's baptism. Now Paul's going to clarify what, what John's baptism is. And Paul said John baptized a baptism in water that was a baptism, a baptism of repentance. If you remember, John was out in the Judean wilderness in the Jordan River and calling people to repent of their sin in preparation for the Messiah who was going to come. So he was, he was challenging people to change their lives. You know, don't cheat people. Don't, don't lie anymore. Get your life right because God is coming. So it was a baptism of repentance believing in the one who was going to come after John, that is, in Jesus. And so it says, when those 12 men heard this, they were baptized again in water in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, they, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying, and there were about 12 of them in all. So, so notice that when the Holy Spirit comes on them, there's an evidence, there's an outward evidence that there are signs that the Holy Spirit had come into their life. Now, tongues and prophecy isn't the only evidence of, of a spirit-filled life. We're going to talk about that in a second. So, so they, they uh, receive the Holy Spirit. And so as we read that story, how do we know that they weren't Christians? Well, two pretty easy reasons on the surface. The first is that they'd never put their, their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, we know that because Paul chose to baptize them again. We don't have any record in the New Testament where anybody got baptized twice. But Paul recognized they had not been baptized into Christ. They had not immersed themselves in faith in Christ. So he baptizes them again. The second reason we know, other than the fact that they hadn't put their trust in Christ, is that they didn't have the Holy Spirit. And you cannot be saved, you cannot be a Christian unless you have the Holy Spirit. Thomas Oden says this. He says, the absence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life indicates one has not yet rightly 
or adequately received God's saving grace. You're not yet a believer. And then he quotes Romans 8, 9. If anyone doesn't have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. If anyone doesn't have the spirit. So we recognize these guys weren't actually Christians because number one, they, they, they hadn't put their, their faith in Jesus. Paul baptizes them again in the name of Jesus and they didn't have the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so Paul lays his hands on them after they were baptized into Christ and prays for them to receive the Holy Spirit. So Paul in his conversation with these guys recognized something, even though they were using the language they were talking about being disciples. They were talking about believing. Paul, Paul recognized that they weren't actually saved. And so he asks them this incredibly important question. And the question is this. Into what then were you baptized? If it wasn't Jesus, into what were you immersed? What, what gave you this feeling this, this sensation that you were a follower of Christ when you weren't. See, the reality is we can be, we can be immersed in things. We can, we can be involved in things that, that make us feel really good. And in fact, they might even make us feel alive. But the Holy Spirit may not be in it. So you can... <clears throat> people that are involved in recovery programs for alcohol addiction and drug addiction... Those programs can make them feel free from those addictions. Um, the, the fact that you are sober, sobriety can be very empowering, but it doesn't mean you have the Holy Spirit. Attending church can make us feel really good about ourselves, right? I, I mean, it, we can feel loved and accepted by people, that, that feeling of being accepted by a community of people, that, that feeling of belonging can be really empowering. But it doesn't mean that, that you have the Holy Spirit in your life. It just means that people are reaching out in love and caring about you. Helping people in need, helping the poor, being benevolent, giving to people around you that, that have need um, can, can make us feel really good. Humanitarianism. Social justice can be very empowering to us, but it doesn't mean we have the Holy Spirit. Um, living a good moral life, you know, can make us feel righteous, not getting drunk, avoiding sexual sin. Hey, pastor, I stopped cussing. Well, that can make you feel self-righteous. It can be really empowering as well, but it doesn't mean you have the Holy Spirit in your life. Religion can make you feel really good about yourself. Going to church, listening to a sermon, singing songs, putting money in the offering, all of those things. Serving somewhere in the church can be empowering, but it doesn't mean that you have the Holy Spirit in your life. And so these, these 12 guys felt good about themselves. They, they, they felt because they were, they were leading moral lives because they were practicing religion, that they were right. But Paul steps in and recognized they weren't saved. They didn't have the Holy Spirit in their lives. It's only when we're baptized or immersed into Christ that we can receive the Holy Spirit. 
So some of you may have been this last Sunday night, we had a worship night here, a reveal night. Anybody come to that reveal night last Sunday night? It was awesome. I estimate that there was probably 900 to 1,000 people, the whole front, we, we took these chairs out. It's just packed with young people and there were people in the balcony, just a ton of people. And for, for 90 minutes, we just sang and, and worshiped. It was, a, it was an incredible time. About halfway through that, I came up on the stage and I, I asked if there was anybody here that had never surrendered their life to Christ. If there was anyone here that, that, that didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, would they like to? 30 people raised, about 30 people raised their hand. Those 30 people had probably been invited by Christian friends. They were in the church. They, they, they may have been in church more than that week. They might have been singing and participating in the worship, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit. They weren't saved. And see, we can be immersed in church. We can be immersed in religion. We can be immersed in morality. We can just try to live a really good life and not have the Holy Spirit. And that was true of these 12 in Ephesus. So, so what is the evidence of a life that's filled with the Holy Spirit? What does, what does that actually look like? And I want to just take the last few minutes this morning and talk about the evidence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. And the first one is this. It's a life that resembles Jesus. It's a life that resembles Jesus. We, we can't get around this one. If, if God puts inside of us when we accept Christ, the spirit of Christ, right? Remember, remember I said every Christian is the building. Every Christian is the, the temple now that God puts his Holy Spirit into. So if the, if the spirit of Jesus is inside of you, it's going to begin to change you and make you more like Jesus. So here's what the scripture says. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined or determined that, that all of those Christians would be conformed to the image of Jesus, his son. Changed into, transformed into the image and nature of Jesus. So if you are a follower of Christ, if you've been baptized or immersed into Christ, put your trust in him and been filled with the Holy Spirit, one of the evidences, maybe the primary evidence of that is you begin to resemble Jesus. You begin to talk and think and act and live your life. Christ begins to live his life through you and you become more and more like Jesus. You're familiar with the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Paul says this. He says, for, let's put that, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. This, this kind of character and evidence that, that we know Christ. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When the Holy Spirit comes in you, he begins to work these character qualities, these fruits. And that whole list is simply a list that reflects the nature of Christ. Jesus is the embodiment of love. Jesus is the embodiment of kindness. Jesus is the embodiment of patience. And all of those things, faithfulness and gentleness, those are character qualities of Christ. And if the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ is living in you, then you will begin to manifest or evidence 
those fruits in your life. You, you will become more patient. You will become more kind. You will become, excuse me, more loving. That will, that will begin as you submit yourself to the Holy Spirit. Those things will become more real in your life. Now, now remember I said, you know, if, if, if God put his presence in you, there's, there's going to be some profound change. There's going to be an evidence in your life that you are now a Christian. It's not just a new code of ethics to follow. It's not just a new list of rules that you follow, but you are actually changed on the inside by this Holy Spirit that God puts inside of you and you begin to live more like Christ. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is a... Um, I love this quote by Francis Chan, who's a Christian pastor, a Christian teacher. He says this, this may be a silly illustration, but if I told you I had an encounter with God where he entered my body and gave me a supernatural ability to play basketball, this is why I love this quote by Francis Chan right there. And there's nothing silly ever about basketball. He says, if, if, if God entered my body and gave me a supernatural ability to play basketball, wouldn't you expect to see an amazing improvement in my jump shot, my defense, and my speed on the court? After all, this is God we're talking about. And if you saw no change in my athleticism, wouldn't you question the validity of my encounter? And I would suggest if we, if we over a period of time, aren't seeing any change in your character, where you begin to resemble and reflect the nature of Jesus, doesn't that come into question? See, the, the purpose that God has for your life if you're a Christian when he gives you the Holy Spirit is that you become more and more like Jesus. Husbands, that you become more patient with your children. You, you love your wives. Wives, that you love your husbands. You honor your husbands. And all of those things, that, that they're real in our relationships, that you become a better friend. You become a better teacher. You become a better coach because you are being changed on the inside of your life. Do we get that scripture in, in 2 Corinthians? That's the next one. Okay, thank you. Point number two. Um, and let me just say this. this. This change doesn't happen overnight, but it happens if you have the Holy Spirit in you. It happens over a period of time. And actually, because we, we, we want to become like Jesus, we feel bad when we don't. Yet, you ever feel bad when you, when you don't respond like Jesus did, when you, when you realize you're not acting like Christ, you're not, you're not living the way God wants you? Don't you feel bad? That's an evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because God wants you to live one way, and when you live a different way, you sort of feel bad, like disappointed, like, I know I should have done that, I know I should have responded that way, and I didn't. That's because of the Holy Spirit in you who is motivating you and leading you to live at a different level like Jesus and empowering you to do that. Okay, so number one, it's a life that resembles Jesus. Number two, it's a life that shares Jesus. It's a life that shares Jesus. Now, have you noticed how if anything impacts our life in a significant way, we tell other people about it. You notice that? In, anything that, that significantly changes or affects your life, you tell people about that. So, so you, you discover this new diet and you shed 30 pounds, right? And you're, you're feeling awesome. You're looking good. You're feeling good. You're not going to keep that to yourself. You're going to be telling folks, hey, I'm on this new diet. I only eat apples. That's the only thing I eat right now. 
dropped 30 pounds, never felt better in my, y'all need to get on my apple diet, right? You're going to be telling people, I've, I've discovered something that's changing me. It's awesome. You, you need to also be a part of this. Natural. Now, if you're single and you start dating someone and it's like, this is happening right now, okay? Like, this is fire. Like, we are a thing right now. You don't keep that to yourself. Because if suddenly someone begins to change your life and, and awaken you romantically, that thing's going on social media, I, I guarantee it. We are in a relationship. We, we are official, right? We're, we're in love right now, y'all, right? So you're going you're gonna to tell somebody if, if something in your life is positively impacting. You're also going to tell people if something is negatively impacting your life. If you get a diagnosis from the doctor that you have type 2 di diabetes or you have heart disease or you have cancer, you're not going to keep that to yourself because that's going to profoundly change your life. And you're going to invite your friends into that to pray for you so they're aware of it, so they can help you, so they can encourage you as you walk through that process. See, when things profoundly change our lives, we don't keep it to ourselves. You know, when we, when we discover a discipline in life that's helpful, that challenges us, we don't, we don't keep that to ourselves either. So my daughter, Shannon, um, lives down in St. Louis. And uh, for the last three or four years, she's tried to read a certain number of books every year. Like her goal this year is 55 books. She's at about 33 or 34. So she's got a little ways to go by the end of the year to get up to, to 55. But that's like more than a, a book a week. And so what she does is, I mean, it, it's been really positive for her. So she texts me and emails me with links to these books. She says, Dad, you got you to read this book. It'll change your life. I don't want to read that book. <laughs> I, I don't care about that book. I read for a living. That's what I do. I read for a living. I, I don't have the time or the energy or the desire to read anymore. So, but she keeps sending me these links. And then she'll, she'll send me a text like two weeks later. And, and it'll say, you haven't even looked up that book yet, have you? Why do you hate me? That's what she says. Why, why do you hate me? You, you don't think this is going to change your life like it's changed mine. I don't care about reading. So it's great for her. But, but, but the point is, again, if you're involved in something that's positively changing you, man, you want to share that with people. And if you have been saved by Jesus Christ... If you have had your sin forgiven and God has put the Holy Spirit in your life and begun to change you from the inside out, guess what? You want to tell people about Jesus. You want to share this, this new thing that has revolutionized your life. That's just natural. It's an evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses. What is a witness? A witness is, is someone who tells a court what they've experienced, what they've seen, what they've heard, what they know. Jesus said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on your life and you're going to be witnesses. You don't have to change anything in your life. The, the profound change that Jesus brings is going to make you want to share him with other people. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. And then Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 20. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. What does that mean? 
It means God has given you the Holy Spirit. He's put his spirit inside of you. And now you are being changed from the inside out. Again, this isn't just some new code of conduct. It's not a new list of rules or ethics or expectations. This is you being changed on the inside. Your old life is gone. A brand new life has started. You're becoming like Christ. And therefore, you want to share Christ. Here's what he says. This new life has begun. So we are Christ's ambassadors. That means we're his representatives. We're his spokespeople. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead you, come back to God, be reconciled to God. So there's something in us now with the people in our world, in our relational world, our oikos, that doesn't know Jesus. We want them to know Jesus, and we want to share with them what Christ has done in our life. We don't have to work it up. We don't have to try to you know, give ourselves the feelings. It's there. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be witnesses Because this has changed your life, you're going to want to share this with everybody that you come in contact with in your life. Now, this this doesn't mean uh, that we always share Jesus with people. Because if you're like me, you get into a conversation and you know you should say something about the Lord. You you know you should share with them what God's doing in your life, but you chicken out. I do. I, I, I get all anxious and worried, and I don't share with them what God's doing in my I don't share Jesus with them. So, so having the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that you always share Christ, but it means two things. It means you want to, and that you recognize it's your purpose. You want to, even if you don't do it perfectly every time, and, and you recognize this is something that God has called you to do, and because it's changed your life, you want to share that with everybody you come in contact with. Number three. Uh, evidence of the, of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. It's a life that serves Jesus. It's a life that serves Jesus. Now, Paul is going to tell us in, in, in one that his motivation for serving Jesus comes from the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says. We proclaim Christ, admonishing every person and teaching every person with all wisdom so that we may present every person mature in Christ. So, Paul saw his calling and his purpose in God to teach, to preach, to, to, to counsel, to pray for people, to help them come into full maturity in Jesus. But he goes on and he says, for this purpose I labor or I work, striving according to his what? God's power which works mightily within me. Paul's motivation for serving God came from within. Man, he, he wanted to do everything he could to extend God's kingdom. He wanted to serve God. And so my question for you is, if you're a Christian, if the Holy Spirit's working in your life, where are you serving Christ? How are you serving Christ? How are you serving Christ in the church? I mean, there's always more than enough opportunities to find a place to serve God. How are you serving him in the church? Are you? See, Paul said the Holy Spirit, man, inspires me, mightily works within me to accomplish this this labor, this purpose for which I was called. Are, Are you serving in the church? Are you serving outside the church? What is the outlet for the Holy Spirit's desire for you to serve? Again, this is an evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence. Not just that we begin to resemble Jesus, not that not just that we begin to share Jesus but we serve him. 
Remember, Jesus said in, in Mark chapter 10, verses 44 and 45, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If, if Jesus Christ, the greatest servant ever, lives inside of you, guess what your life's going to look like? You're going to want to serve. It's just natural. It's natural in the Holy Spirit. One of the evidences of God's presence in a person's life is they begin to serve Christ. They find places to serve the king. And the last thing is this is a life that worships Jesus. Not just a life that resembles Jesus, not just a life that shares Jesus, not just a life that serves Jesus, but a life that worships Jesus. Here's what Paul said about this in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. <clears throat> Paul says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Now, that phrase will ruin your life in the Greek literally means it leads to excess. It leads you, when you're drunk, it leads you to be excessive. You say more than you want to say. Come on, somebody. You eat more than you want to eat. And you prob probably may venture into sexual things beyond where you want to go. Because it, it loosens your moral boundaries in life. Alcohol leads to excess. Paul says, don't get drunk with wine. And then he makes this comparison. But instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. Paul's making an interesting comparison. He says, don't come under the power or control of alcohol. That's going to lead to excessiveness and sin in life. Stay away from it. Now, I've been drunk before on alcohol. And when you're drunk, it leads you to do crazy stuff. Stuff that you wouldn't ordinarily do. I remember waking up the next day going... Like, what was I thinking? Well, that's the whole thing. I wasn't thinking. I was under the influence of something else that, that, that led me to say things and do things and act in a way that was out of character for me. I, I really didn't want to be that way. Have you ever heard the term liquid courage? Come on, someone. That's what it is. It's liquid courage. It gives you the courage to do things that you ordinarily wouldn't do in your life. Now, Paul makes this comparison between alcohol and the Holy Spirit. Don't get drunk with wine. Don't come under the influence and control and power of alcohol. Instead, come under the influence, control, and power of the Holy Spirit so that you start doing things in worship that are crazy. <laughs> things that you wouldn't ordinarily do. Now, now, notice in that verse, there is no disclaimer for worship. There's no disclaimer. You know, don't get drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit, singing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, unless you don't have a good voice. In that case, you're off the hook. Did Paul say that? No. Unless you're standing next to someone that's kind of awkward and you don't want to really sing or do anything, you don't know how they're going to react. Or, or unless you invite someone to church and that's the week that they come, and you don't want to be like all weird, right? Don't, don't be all crazy. And Paul says the Holy Spirit empowers us to do stuff we wouldn't ordinarily do. Sing, clap, raise our hands, 
this, this courage to, to worship God with, with abandonment in our hearts, not worried about what we sound like. I've been to lots of bars. People sing in bars. People sing off-key in bars. Y'all ever heard karaoke? It's the most awful thing I've ever experienced. Drunk people trying to sing to a track. And they're awful. And they don't care. They think they're Celine Dion. They think they're like big-time singers. And they don't care who's out there listening. And we come to church under the influence and power of the Holy Spirit, and we're afraid to sing. We're afraid to lift our, we're afraid what we might look like. Don't get drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. Notice Paul says the outcome of the Spirit-filled life is a heart of worship. Singing, praising, just, just it becomes natural. No matter what your voice is like, no matter who's around you, you get so intoxicated and inebriated with God's presence, it doesn't matter who's around. It's you and the Lord. And you're, you're willing to sing. You don't have to sing louder than everyone. All right? You just need to sing. I don't know where you are today in your walk with God, your spiritual journey. Maybe you're like the 12. They lived pretty good lives. They probably attended synagogue. They practiced religious stuff. But Paul starts asking them, tell me about your relationship with the Lord. They never put their faith in Christ. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Is that you today? pretty good person. You attend church. You're generous. But you've never surrendered your life to Christ. You've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm one that's pretty convinced that when you are saved, when your sin is forgiven, and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you know it. Paul says in Galatians, when we're saved and we have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're God's kids. Man, you know. If you don't know today and you'd like to enter into a relationship with Christ, be filled with his spirit. Be changed from the inside out. Start re resembling Jesus. Start sharing Jesus. Start serving Jesus and in a greater way worship Jesus. I invite you right now to pray with me. At Central, we say a relationship with God is as easy as ABC. A, you've got to admit that you've sinned. I've broken God's law. I've, I've sinned morally, and that sin has separated me from God. B, Jesus came to save me from sin. He lived a sinless life. He was the only perfect sacrifice on the cross for humanity's sin because of the sinlessness. B, you have to believe that Jesus is God's son, and you have to ask him to forgive your sin. And C, you have to commit to living your life for Christ as best you can with the power that he gives you. And maybe there's a D. Maybe the D is, Lord, I need your Holy Spirit. 
to live this life that you're calling me to live. Everyone, would you bow your heads with me this morning? And if you've never done that, you, you, you've been around church and religious stuff, and, but like the 12, you never placed your personal faith in Christ, never had your sin forgiven, never been filled with the Holy Spirit. Would you pray this with me? Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. Just say this in your heart. I know I've sinned. I know that sin has separated me from you. And I know that, Lord, you were the Son of God, the perfect Son of God, who was lifted up on a cross to carry my sin. And Lord, this morning, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Save me. Restore me to a relationship with God the Father. And now, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Give me the assurance, the evidence in my life that I'm your child. And Holy Spirit, I pray for all those around this auditorium right now that are praying that prayer, that Holy Spirit, you would seal their conversion. You'd seal their commitment by filling them to overflowing with your presence. We ask for this and believe for this in Christ's name. Amen. Do you stand with me this morning, church? And I want to, I'm guessing that 90% of you have already been baptized in the name of Jesus. You know the Lord. But what if you started this week? What if we started six weeks of looking at the Holy Spirit with a fresh empowering of the Spirit, a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit? What if we ask God, you know, Jesus in Luke eleven thirteen said, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? What if as, as his children this morning, we just asked for a fresh empowering of his Spirit to live differently this week? If you want to, would you just lift your hands with me? You don't have to. But Lord, for those of us lifting our hands, we simply ask for a fresh filling of your power, a, a renewed reminder that you live in us, a, a greater awareness of the, the indwelling power of Christ inside of us. That Lord, as we walk through this week, we'd find greater patience. As we walk through this week, we'd find greater love for our spouse. As we walk through this week, we'd be kinder. As we walk through this week, we'd, we'd share the love of Christ. As we walk through this week, we would be more bold in sharing Jesus with others. As we walk through this week, people would see Christ in us in a greater way. Come Holy Spirit, fall afresh upon your people. Empower us to be conformed into the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Everybody said, amen. Hey, friends, if you need prayer this morning for anything, maybe you want prayer just for a greater release of God's spirit, just come on up. We're going to have some folks up here to pray for any need that you have. Man, have a great week. God bless you.